What up all you beautiful misfits and rejects out there? Thank you for joining me for episode 183 of Misfits and Rejects. In today's episode, I spoke with Mike Lavin from ResultStory.com. Mike is a digital nomad living in Lisbon, Portugal. And like many digital nomads, read the four-hour Greek, got super inspired, quit his nine-to-five in the UK, and took his skill sets in finance online to create an online location-independent business, which has been funding his life, his lifestyle for the past few years now. What I like about Mike's story and all these beautiful misfits and rejects that I interview is that a lot of them, most of them, design their life with intention. They come to a point in their life where there is a change that needs to be made. They make a decision, they set a goal, they set a direction, and they start working towards that. And as you've heard throughout all the episodes that I've captured with Misfits and Rejects, so many of these lifestyles, so many of these people are doing so many inspirational, cool things around the world in unique ways. And it's just always so cool to get another great story like Mike's on the podcast to hopefully inspire you to take that first step to make that change, to get out of that life situation that you might not be fulfilled within. If you're a first-time listener, please pull out that phone, hit the subscribe button on whatever you're listening to this on, whether it's an iPhone or an Android, please hit that subscribe button. It really helps me in the ratings and the algorithm in which people can find me a lot easier when they search for this type of podcast. And if you like this episode, Mike and I would love it and appreciate it if you shared it with somebody that you thought it might help, as well as rating it. You know, we always appreciate five stars. So with that said, please sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode with Mike Lavin from ResultStory.com. Welcome to Misfits and Rejects, a podcast about the lifestyle design of expatriates, travelers, entrepreneurs, and adventurers. I'm your host, Chapin Cruder. Enjoy. I didn't fit in America. With cocaine, there's just always too many guns and too many bad attitudes. I quit the limiting stories. Really try to overcome that fear. And right there, for any of your listeners, a lot of what I was to do in the rest of my life was formulated by the fact I just went and did it. Welcome to another episode of Misfits and Rejects. Today, I'm joined by Mike Lavin from ResultsStory.com. Mike, welcome to the show. Hey, Chapin. Thank you so much for having me on the show. I'm really looking forward to our chat. Yeah, man. It's nice to hear your voice, and I'm psyched to get to know you pre-show. We talked a little bit about your life uh, pre-coronavirus versus post and some kind of new insights you're having into your lifestyle, lifestyle design. You mind sharing those with us? Because I kind of just hit pause on that and said, like, save it for the show because I was really intrigued by that kind of frame of thought. Yeah, cool, of course. So, yeah, I guess the backstory is last year I was living the life of a digital nomad. Um, it was the first year that I'd, I'd kind of lived that kind of lifestyle where I was kind of moving around maybe not country to country, but, but kind of town to town, kind of on average, probably about once every four or five weeks. And the start of this year, I decided this year I wanted to do some travel, but I'll be predominantly based in Lisbon. So I took on a long-term lease in an apartment here and kind of mapped out kind of what the year was going to look like. And a big part of the year for me was going to be working on stuff that wasn't, I guess, like income generation, which has always historically been my focus. Um, yeah, historically, if I look at how I've allocated my time and energy, I'd probably say 95% has always been about, hey, how can I make money? How can I how can I get some cash coming through? And I had the plan that for, for 2020, I wanted to step back a little bit away from that and do some stuff that was more about um, developing hobbies and interests that just had no link or correlation to, to kind of building wealth in, in any kind of way. And yeah, mapped out this plan for the year. Um, super, super detailed, spent loads of time doing it in December. 
and god where we are so we as we the day we recorded this episode is kind of like 10th of april and well we've been on lockdown now i mean i'm in portugal we've been in lockdown for i guess about four weeks and things were probably kind of not looking too good i guess for at least kind of like two weeks before that you know we all kind of knew that something big was kind of going down so that plan that i had for the year pretty much gone (laughs) so it's looking pretty different now i think and you're kind of alluding to though there was a positive side to it like even though there's been a lot of obviously unfortunate things happening to people's financial situations obviously people knowing people who are very sick or even passed away at this point but there has been a little bit of brighter side to this whole thing for you is that what i was i heard during you know pre-show yeah so yeah exactly kind of what you said so society-wide this has been horrendous i mean so many so many families will kind of lose people through this and so many people will you know will kind of suffer through this and economically as well as as well as health wise but from kind of from a personal perspective i really found the the isolation tough at the start so i live on my own in an apartment in in lisbon um you know i don't kind of have like a you know, like a girlfriend or a wife or I'm not, I'm not kind of like got housemates. So I'm literally living on my own in an apartment and I'm quite a sociable person. So my routine is usually not spending that much time at home. I tend to work from kind of like cafes and co-working spaces. And then I tend to kind of make sure I've got plenty of stuff each week, kind of, kind of socially as well going on. And the first couple of weeks I found that really tough to deal with you know not having that freedom and i think freedom is probably a good word actually because a lot of my value system and what i've been looking to achieve is to is to generate freedom so last year you know i was kind of like traveling kind of all around the world um have my own business have flexibility in theory though i work a lot of hours in theory around kind of hours what i do how i do it and this has taken away a lot of that freedom, which was painful at the start, but it's also been something which in some kind of way has given me a different perspective and forced me to, to probably build different parts of, I'm not sure what the right way of phrasing this is, but different parts of my personality i'm not that's not quite the right word i'm sort of struggling for the right word but it's forced me to engage with myself probably in a kind of completely different way to to the way that i have been living previously yeah i I can totally relate and i love where we're going with this you know that freedom in which i myself have been striving to really maintain in my life at all times where i always have that sense of freedom where i feel that i can do what i want when i want no matter what and I'm an introvert, so I mean the alone thing for me is necessary. I spend, I prefer to spend, you know, eight hours of my day by myself, and I like the evenings to go out, socialize, have a few drinks with friends. Um, so interestingly, you're the opposite. It sounds like with your, you, you sound like you're an extrovert, and you want to be out more socializing throughout the day at the uh, workspaces and different events you do. So, what have you been doing, or what did you do, or what was the shift for you? Was it a moment? where you just said like, oh, I can be at peace with this and accept this for what it is? Or was it a practice, like a, me- a daily meditative practice that you've been doing? I've been been trying super hard to stick to some just really good sort of self-care habits. 
so you know things like um, meditating exercise journaling which I always try and do but I've kind of been more focused on doing those things consistently because I think at the moment there it's even more important you know than it, than it usually is um, the I guess one thing I feel is that in some ways certainly over the past year that potentially and I do think this could be true of other digital nomads as well although I can't kind of speak for them but I just kind of feeling this could be the, be the case that I think sometimes by constant movement and by constant change it's can be a coping mechanism or a way of maybe not addressing some of the fundamental challenges that we have because that constant movement kind of gives you a bit of a dopamine rush like every time you arrive in a new town or a city you get that dopamine rush of like a new place like new people new things to explore and then as soon as that starts to fade you kind of move again and if you've got some of the stuff in your life that maybe you need to kind of think about or you need to sort out or you need to just even make some hard decisions and hard choices, it's quite easy to avoid that stuff because of the power of that change. And you haven't got that change anymore. Like with the way things are now, it's not just that you can't change cities or change countries. You can't even leave, <laughs> leave your apartment. So all that stuff, that potentially I've been avoiding and maybe same with the people you kind of been avoiding, like you can't get away from it. There's nowhere to go. So you've got to confront it. You've got to make decisions and you've got to look at your life in quite a kind of like, um, you know, quite a kind of quite, quite, uh, I guess kind of concentrated way. Um, and yeah, I guess that's, I guess that's one thing that I've kind of found if there is a positive from this is just to have that very different experience and to get that very different perspective on things absolutely do you mind me asking like was there one thing you've had to confront that you've realized you've been putting off for quite some time yes it's a cool question um so for me i mean this is kind of getting a bit personal but i was until november 2018 i'd been in a long-term relationship so i'd been i had a girlfriend for, for around about five years and then we separated and then the next kind of period, like the next 13, 14 months, I was just traveling. So it was interesting just kind of getting comfortable just being by yourself, you know, just getting super comfortable kind of in your own company. Because prior to that, I was in a relationship and I was probably very rarely on my own. And then after that, I was probably pretty social. And I think one thing is just to get comfortable just kind of in your own skin, in your own space, doing your own thing. So that was definitely been something that I've had to work on. I've had no choice recently. I think business-wise, work-wise, it's it, it's kind of it's made me kind of look at. I've got two businesses, and it's kind of maybe made me look at those in a in a in a in a different kind of way because it's not just like things there in the background that are kind of there to fund uh, a lifestyle. It's more looking at hey, do, do I need this business in my life? Does it make sense? Are there things that I could do better with this business? Am I just doing things out of routine that don't need to be done? So it's probably made me assess um, the businesses in a different way just because I have not had that constant change and that constant moving of the world, that spinning of the wheel. Um, it's definitely made me kind of slow down and just take stock. Wow, dude, this is getting awesome. Do you 
um, when you think about that in your businesses, I mean, do you love what you do? You've talked a lot about, you know, kind of chasing the dollar. I know you're really into the lifestyle, the freedom of it all, but you know, obviously to maintain this lifestyle, we have to have cash flow, make money. So the businesses that you've created for yourself, were they out of like a true passion and love for what you're doing or just the necessity to make money? The first business I have, my first business, which I've had probably for probably like four or five years now is a finance business. And that is not an area that I've ever been passionate about in itself. So that was kind of like my corporate career was in that space. So it was the easiest business for me to start because it was just, you know, it was a skill set that I'd already developed in the corporate world with a salaried role. The the second business that I have, which is more recent, so it's probably about 18 months old, is Results Story. And that's a business which it's a done-for-you service to produce video testimonials for online businesses. And the motivation for that business was definitely to get a higher level of fulfillment. And the reason that I felt that business would be more fulfilling would be that my target customer for that business so the kind of the community that i'd kind of be immersing myself in to kind of grow that business would be people that enjoy hanging out with so you know other business owners other entrepreneurs potentially like other nomads and that was why it's not necessarily like a passion for video because we can we kind of produce you know video is kind of like the product that we produce but more passion for the, the kind of target market so that business is definitely been something that i've enjoyed working on more for that reason but i have probably had like some different perspective and, and thoughts during this time of kind of being locked down and having a hell of a lot of time to myself to kind of think and reflect during this period where we've been in lockdown and it's definitely i guess given me like some different perspectives on on the fulfillment that maybe i'm getting or could get from from business I see. Let's give the audience a little bit of perspective on what actually result story is. And then maybe we can go into the fulfillment side of things because I'm curious as well to understand you create video testimonials for people who have businesses who need that. Obviously. Um, can you, yeah, just please explain what that means. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. Yes. Yeah, one thing about the business is not really like an established service, which is a good thing but is also in retrospect a bad thing. <laughs> so um, I've always kind of, I guess with business ideas, I've always been drawn to thinking, hey, you need to create something that nobody else has thought of and provide a new, like exciting idea. One argument which seems to make more and more sense to me these days is that there's massive advantage to creating a, a business in a space where there is already proven demand for that product or service and then just trying to deliver you know a good version of that product or service maybe with some kind of like unique twist within there but i'm not even sure it necessarily is a unique twist um but that's definitely like a whole different way of thinking about business ideas which has kind of become clearer to me like in the last like 12 months yeah, it's something that I came from the same perspective on when I was thinking about entrepreneurs, entrepreneurship was that I had to come up with something completely new, original. And as I got deeper into this space and the people I encountered, like that's a kind of a faulty way to think about it. If you want to be successful, like you actually want to pick 
a niche that has people already being or making money in it, and they are successful, then that means that it's a viable niche to work within, you know? Yeah, like why is that? I mean, I think that's kind of a really super common thing, isn't it? Even I'm thinking most of my friends who maybe aren't even involved in the business world, well, the way they would think of a good business idea is something unique. Like, it's crazy. Like, why do we all kind of think like that? I think it's uh, like media and how we were raised and how like all these iconic individuals from the past, like the guys who were in the steel industry, like the Carnegie's and especially in America, the Rockefeller's and they like had this crazy idea, you know, Uh, and that's how it's delivered to us. Even though there's probably tons of competitors, but the way it's delivered is like this person had this idea that was, you know, crazy like Henry Ford. I I guarantee there's somebody else who was talking about making a car that everybody could drive, but he was the one that's credited to doing it, you know? Yeah, and I kind of also feel it depends on what you define success as. Like, potentially, if you want to become some multi-billion-dollar company with you know venture venture capital funding, maybe you do need to be doing something a bit different. You know, maybe you do need to be. I'm not sure on the backstory, but just an example, like an Uber, which is kind of like a new concept. As you say, there, there are probably other people doing the same thing, but still like a new concept. Um. Or I'm just kind of struggling things in my head, but I think there's lots of examples of, of companies which have kind of gone huge, probably with a new idea. But I think for most of us, the level of income that would allow us to design our lifestyle, which I know is obviously like something that you're huge on, is probably like it doesn't need like several billion dollars to do that. And for us to make like, you know, a really good level of income, we can probably get like a point zero 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 one percent of a big market and have plenty of money to have the lifestyle that we want just by copying or embracing something which is kind of already proven. Yes, dude. I love this and agree 100%. We are definitely like-minded in, in what you're saying. Getting back to like what you actually do with your business results story, you create videos. Like, Do people reach out to you and say, hey, this is my model. Go find people to give me testimonials or are they you contacting their customers and then having them like i just don't i still don't understand your business model how it works (laughs) yeah so i kind of went off on a tangent there yeah in terms of what we do so we interview customers of online businesses about their experience of um of, of using that product or service so for example um yeah we we would have a client who would say for example had an info product in the fitness space we would speak to people who'd been through that fitness course. Um, we'd ask them some really smart questions. So we'd do a one-to-one interview via video call. And the real big secret, actually, of a good testimonial is it is really all about that interview. You know what I mean? Like that's People really don't think about the interview so much. People sometimes expect customers to kind of just send them in videos or testimonials. But the problem is customers generally speaking they're not kind of like marketing experts they don't know what's going to make really compelling content so you've got to have a really good interview and then we take that footage and we edit it into a professionally edited video testimonial usually we call them case study style videos which is kind of like the core deliverable it's like a three four minute video you know background music we have some animations come on screen to give context to what people say and that's kind of like the the core product for that business 
And is this a market like we just described where it's competitive? There's people in it already doing this, making money? Because actually, I've never heard of this before. No, this is this. I guess this is why this is one of the challenges. Like this has been one of the challenges in the business, and I guess why I've started to think. Hang on a minute. Like a great business idea isn't necessarily something that's unique, mm-hmm. because I was kind of I was kind of trying to do that at the start. So I guess it's not completely out there because, say, particularly in the info product space, the concept of having video testimonials is pretty like established you know most kind of like big selling info products have a lot of video testimonials on the sales pages and they'll use them in the funnels and on the facebook ads and stuff like that in terms of having like a company that will produce those remotely when i launched the business i wasn't aware of another company offering that service since then we've had a couple of like copycats but when i launched it I think, to the best of my knowledge, that we were the first ones. Okay, this is getting interesting. So then you're the first ones. You're approaching companies and saying, hey, this is what we do. Are you interested in our service? And they're saying what? Well, hopefully some of them are saying yes. Yeah, it's kind of um, yeah, kind of the biggest misconception that people have is that they think we're going to produce fake videos that's exactly what i was thinking (laughs) so yeah they think that you know they're gonna have i don't know like um yeah they're gonna have some products or service and we're just literally gonna send them like these like 10 like fake videos of us saying that we love that product and funnily enough like some of them are super disappointed when we tell them that no we actually need to speak to actual customers and they're like no 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 like literally we just want the fake ones so um that is probably biggest like misconception that we get so then okay so then they say okay they're on board we're going to give you access to our email list or we're going to feed you customers that we already kind of pre-vet as being interested in doing this for us like then how does that how does the customer get value out of helping out a business they've already paid for the product yeah really good question yeah really good question so we can do we can do it one of two ways so the first way is that our customer will go and basically recruit customers of their business who are happy to provide them with a video testimonial. That can work really well. When it tends to work the best is when a business establishes a consistent process for asking for the video testimonial. So this could either be something that they have in their processes that's manually carried out by a member of their team, or it can even be something that you build into an email automation. But generally what's best is there's a specific part in the customer journey where it makes sense to ask that customer to share their story. And you send them usually an email, and it's pretty much word along lines of, hey, you know, we really value as a customer. We'd love to kind of capture your story. Would you be available for a 15 minute video call where we can ask you some questions and then turn that into a testimonial video we can use in our marketing afterwards? So that's pretty much the ask. Yeah, no, I see. It makes sense. Um, when you do get them on the video call and you're asking them the questions, does that do you hear your voice in the final product or you edit out everything and just have them basically having a conversation with the camera about the product? Yeah. Another really good question. So, I mean, just back to the previous question 
about the process. I kind of made the point it's better when there's a, there's a built-in repeatable process because otherwise businesses kind of always wait for the perfect moment, which, you know, doesn't always come up and they just, or they can just forget as well. But the other part of it is you can offer an incentive if you want as well to improve the improve the participation rate so it could be sim- something as simple as like an amazon voucher to say thank you or it could be a money off coupon or a discount or if you have an info product maybe there's some kind of gated content that you can make available kind of as a thank you but we've also seen businesses have just really good success where they're not offering that incentive and it's just that customers you know, have got value from their products or service and are just happy to share the story. Yeah, dude, that's really cool, man. And then, so how many clients do you have and what's the price point for this service? Is it like a reoccurring price point or is it, is it one-off per customer? How does it work? Yeah, we ch- we changed this recently. So we changed it recently. So we were um, charging, basically people would buy a pack of videos from us and that was kind of cool. Um, the the downside of that model was that from a customer's perspective, so from our customer's perspective, it made it hard for them to really hardwire that process of asking for their customers to be interviewed for video testimonials because it kind of didn't really feel worth it. If you're just going to record like three, four, five videos, it's like you're not going to build a repeatable process into your standard workflow to do that so it became kind of like something which was probably a little bit more challenging in terms of getting the volunteers and you kind of needed to get all the volunteers all in one go as well you know you kind of like you'd buy a batch of videos and then you need to suddenly find like five ten people kind of like within the next couple of weeks so it put quite a bit of pressure on that recruitment process from our perspective commercially it was kind of nice because we would earn more from like one sale of a pack of videos than we now charge like on a monthly subscription. So yeah, before we could onboard kind of like three customers and that would kind of look okay in terms of cash flow. Whereas now three customers sign up to a subscription, it's a lot less money up front for us. But it does have the advantage of producing a lot more consistent revenue. And one of the reasons I introduced it is because previously we'd been paying team members primarily on a kind of like per deliverable basis. And one of the challenges I found with that was it didn't give team members kind of consistency of cash flow in terms of what they were earning from us. So, of course, they had to take on other freelance work. So it meant that sometimes, say, for example, they would be busy with their other clients, which I understand they had to have because, of course, they've got rent and bills and stuff to pay themselves. And if we had like a big rush of work on, it was maybe difficult for them to have the capacity to fit that in. And I also felt it was harder for them to kind of really buy in to kind of almost like being part of a team or working on a project and kind of really being invested in the company's outcome because they still kind of felt like a freelancer and with the subscription model it gives us more consistency of cash flow which allows us to put people more on a salaried basis or at least that's the direction that i want to move towards so that it kind of like becomes like their main thing you know the real thing like a career for them and that i think it enables them to just just buy more into it and contribute more 
and for us to kind of um kind of not you know have people who've kind of got conflicting priorities um and i just think it's kind of better for us as a business and i think it's also better for the people in our team too that's yeah i can totally relate to or understand where they might be coming from with the uh, inconsistency in work and wanting more of a consistent cash flow when you keep saying we an hour do you have a business partner or is it just you still and you're just referring to your team yeah i'm referring to the team yeah i don't have um Actually, something I looked into a bit in the last year in terms of trying to find a partner for the business, never managed to get a deal successfully over the line. It was something that I was really kind of hung up on actually being able to secure. But no, when I'm referring to we, I'm really talking about, um, yeah, the team members that we, that we have um, working for the business. And is this thing cash flow positive? Like, is it a viable business at this point? Do you make money off it or are you at break even? And uh, the, the result story is the last year it would have, if you take into account the total expenditure, the business ran at a loss. So in 2019, it ran at a loss, but it kind of gets complicated depending on what accounting basis you used. So I actually considered around about December time, I considered selling the business and this whole whole kind of uh, the tangent, I guess, is the reasons for that. And with the accounting basis, if you kind of use ad backs, so you can kind of take off things like for for a buyer, you can take off things like you know costs that the buyer wouldn't be building on. So if you had like marketing things which didn't work, or you sponsored things that didn't work, you can take it off. And it's kind of weird because the business kind of makes on that basis kind of made like pretty decent profit, um, but. The actual money that I spent on the business in 2019, or we actually spent looking at the bank account, the business would have would have would have made a loss during that period. Gotcha. You said pre-show that you listened to the episode with Dan Andrews, correct? Prior to coming on. Yeah, 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 yeah. What do you? What? Do you, how did that feel to you when he said always go product businesses versus service-based businesses? I don't know if you caught that. It really rang true to me when we were having the conversation because. I have a service-based business and I get cash up front and then have to deliver on the service. And it's always like, uh, you know, like <laughs> you get this chunk of change, which you're psyched on, but then you go burn it. And now you still have to deliver like a month later. How do you feel about that? I guess I've always leaned towards service business because that's kind of where I have my experience. The cash flow element, I guess I was willing in 2019 for the business to make a loss, which I don't think is probably the optimum way of approaching it because my first business, the the finance, the business in the finance space, that provides a pretty consistent level of income for me personally. So that's kind of like literally what pays the rent, pays for my food, all that kind of stuff, pays for my lifestyle. And you know, I'm not gonna live like a millionaire on that, but I've got you know, a pretty decent lifestyle off, off that income. And so when I started the second business, I pretty much put um, some capital, put $25,000 pretty much give or take into a bank account. And I was like, this is the fund that I'm investing to launch this business. And I didn't really have the intention of kind of like drawing a, like an income out in the near future. I was like, at some point, this business is going to do well and it's going to provide me with a good level of income. If it gets below like $25,000 that I put in, 
then I'm basically not going to put any more money in. So either I'll have to end the business or it will have to very quickly start making money. So I kind of feel that is the exact opposite of the approach that I had when I launched my first business. Because when I launched my first business, I didn't have any of the income stream. And I was literally in the, the, I was literally kind of in spreadsheets looking at the money like every couple of days for that business because I was desperate for that cash. It's like if that business didn't start producing income pretty quick, I would have to go back and get like a corporate job again, which I was obviously like, that was not the plan. And I actually feel that that, that um, focus on being cash flow positive was way more stressful because it would literally be sometimes when I have like a bad month, it would literally be like sleepless nights. Do you know what I mean? It would literally be like cold sweats in the middle of the night thinking like, you know, this business isn't working. I'm losing money. I'm going to have to get a job. This whole plan is not going to work. And also just, just feeling like you've not succeeded as well. You know what I mean? Like feeling like you've, you've put your heart and soul on something feeling before you began that you were kind of smart and you kind of knew stuff. And then it's that humbling experience of shit. This is, this isn't working. And with that first business, it was super stressful, like loads of sleepless nights, loads of anxiety. But ultimately, I think that focus on just consistently making money each month, because I had to, there was no plan B, was way more um, was way more beneficial in terms of the, the company actually succeeding. You know what I mean? The company actually working or working quicker. I feel that with the results story, because I had that consistent level of income, my approach to the financial side of the business has been a lot more relaxed because it's like, hey, I've still got like a good chunk of that $25,000 I initially put into this random bank account to launch the business. So that's cool. But that I don't think or I've come to realize that's not like a healthy way to approach a business. Like you need to kind of be be way, way, way more focused I think, on being, on being cash flow positive like as many months as you can. Yeah, I agree, dude. I can kind of relate so well to your story. Um, with the first business, the finance business, because I know what I like about you, Mike, is that you are very intention oriented when it comes to lifestyle design. You know, you, you set out with an intention of first business was going to be cat or passive income, which is this finance business. Is that correct? Yeah. The first, the first business, so the first business was, um, really inspired by just not enjoying like corporate work and kind of almost probably feeling like lost by the fact that I didn't enjoy it, <laughs> you know, kind of like feeling like, like a freak or like, you know, like feeling, feel like I'm a weirdo. Like, Hey, everyone else seems pretty cool with this life. Like, why do I not like getting my suits in an office between like 9am and like 6:30 every day and not being allowed to like, I don't know, like go and get a coffee at like 11 in the morning because like the rules are you, you don't go out till 12 and, I just hated it. Like I really, really hated it. And it was like every time I kind of asked for something, I went to do something and a boss would say no, it just kind of felt wrong. It just kind of felt like, why am I kind of in this kind of like prison? You know what I mean? It's like, why don't I have like more freedom? Why can't I choose this stuff? And that was kind of like the, the driver, I guess, for me wanting to have my own thing. And around that kind of time, I put me for that actually, correction i put me feel that way for a while the thing that probably clar- clarified that feeling and i'm kind of guessing that this could be a common fact with a lot of people that you've interviewed on on the podcast is that i read the four-hour work week which just kind of gave me a completely different perspective i guess on the 
the time to money correlation. Yep, yep. That comes up a lot, and it is kind of, I guess, the Bible for a lot of us. I haven't read it, tried, never got into it that much. I think for me, it was I was kind of already living it, but not in a digital nomad sense. Like, I was very aware that my lifestyle was like I was the new rich because I was living on the beach with my friends in Nicaragua. A very simple life, but I was like, this is it, you know? Um, for you, when did you leave? When did you leave the US? Like, how old were you when you left the US? I was 23. And wow, okay. uh, I traveled for a long time and then I wound up in Nicaragua and I stayed from 2005 straight till 2010. And then I started doing this kind of like um, looking for something new and interesting. I'd spend like three, six months, a couple years in Nicaragua and then kind of go out looking for kind of a new place to plant some roots and just kind of always wound up going back there. So, I mean, I accumulated a solid 10 years and more in Nicaragua over the last 15 and spent, you know, significant amount of time around the world and other places. But yeah, I mean, I was like, it just, yeah, made, like the first 50 pages that I read of uh, the four hour working was like, yep, that makes sense. I'm doing that sweet. And I just put it down and never picked it back up. But now <laughs> it's like, I'm kind of getting back into the, the nitty gritty of it. Like I have it on audiobook and I'm trying to like, listen to it and pay attention. Cause there's things that, yeah, I can still really benefit from hearing that. What was the trigger then for you, like to leave, to leave the states and decide to go live abroad? Um, the feeling of not fitting in. Really, I grew up in Newport Beach, Southern California, which the value systems here were just not in line with mine at all. Um, I had, you know, great family and some really great friends, but in the end, like, just found myself feeling really at home in other parts of the world. Um, I was lucky enough to have one friend leave very young he left at 18 and moved to a small village on the caribbean side of costa rica called porto viejo mm -hmm. and i got to visit him and i just was like oh this is it like there's this is all i ever want i want to live in a little village like this and just walk around barefoot and surf and you know <laughs> like no worries and i was able to do that for a long time until uh my mom got sick and i didn't have enough oh, yeah. money to get home which I wow, never, okay. like, really factored into the whole equation, <laughs> lack of foresight. Right. And, um, that's when it kind of struck me that I had to probably start setting myself up to be a little bit more financially stable because I love my family and I want to be there for my family. And if I could be there financially for them, that would be even better because my mom in the end was like 2008 wiped her out. Like she died broke, you know? Wow. And, uh, couldn't, okay. Couldn't afford medical insurance and shit like that. Like, if I could have paid for her medical insurance, like, it might have been a different ending, you know? And, like, that kind of thing, you know? So, that really That's just, super powerful. Just thinking of it in that context is just crazy. Yeah. It's crazy. I mean, yeah. And I think what I've learned from the third world is that, you know, they have a lot of children as insurance policies, whether it's a conscious decision or not. Like, mm -hmm everyone's preparing for the day where they need to be taken care of. And in America, for example, like people get put in homes, you know, like, and then forgotten about. And it's the saddest thing in the world to me. And I don't want to have my father or aunts be put in a home. Like I want to be able to take care of them. So that's like, although I am selfishly trying to design a life of, you know, location independence and like financial freedom through like online assets, I definitely want to have the, the capital to like bring them, for example, my dad to Thailand. If, if we can't afford it, you know, in-home nurse here, if that's what it comes to, like I'm going to take him someplace where I can and we're going to live out the days there together, you know? So that's kind of the model now. And 
it's fucking hard, dude. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's really interesting just putting that family perspective on it. Mm-hmm. I think sort of a concept or a thought that I've had recently, and I probably kind of read this or heard this somewhere, but I can't remember the origin, but it's, it's that whatever goals we have which are centered on ourselves, and we all have like, goals like this like about our own lifestyle they're never as powerful as the goals that we have that are really linked to to helping other people and i don't know the reason behind that but there's just something psychologically that when you're thinking about achieving something because it's going to help somebody else that that just feels way way more motivating than something that's just kind of like just going to help yourself yeah i agree i mean this that fulfillment that people get through philanthropy and tithing is is powerful you know the second i i see like a real opportunity to give something of value for free to somebody else who really needs it it's just i mean you feel like a superhero you know i mean and that's selfish in itself but i'm okay with that because i mean i think it's benefiting somebody else you know yeah, I don't know. I don't know what it is. I think it's just it's just some kind of emotional connection, isn't it? It's like I kind of I'm kind of guessing that maybe like the thought of paying for your own health care would have be no more no so it wouldn't kind of get you or motivate in the same way as the thought of maybe like paying for your dad's health care. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, I mean it's um I've never like had the aspirations to have my family of my own. I've always been very happy with the family I have. So that's, uh, I think the responsibility I've given to myself, which is that when that day comes, like they will be taken care of by me, you know, and I'm a 40 year old man. So it's like, my time is not running out, but it's like, you know, it's time to get real fucking serious, dude. You know, uh, and, yeah. And start yeah. grinding. Like a Dale Dagger episode four of Misfits and Rejects, one of these like beautiful characters of the third world. And we've all met him in these places. He's just like backwater towns. They've been there. This guy shipwrecked in Nicaragua in 94. And him and I like had our, we didn't really like each other in the beginning. He's a salty old <laughs> surfer. And like, I was just like, fuck that guy. He's such a dick. But over the years, we became very good friends. And, um, he said to me one day, he's like, Shape, you're doing it right, dude. Listen, here's the secret to life. He's like, do whatever you want until you're 40. He's like, when you turn 40, spend the next 10 years working as hard as you can to make enough money. So when you turn 50, you can go back to doing what you want. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, all right, that sounds good. So I, that's always been in the back of my mind. So I'm not going to necessarily sacrifice myself for just money. You know, like I can't do that. It has to be something in line with my value system of like helping or just doing something that I'm fulfilled by. So that's where I'm struggling with is trying to find that sweet spot that the market needs what I have to offer, whether it's a product or service and I get to make money with it rather than just give with no result, you know, or do something that I get a huge result, but I could give a fuck about, you know? Yeah. I heard something the other day. It was from one of the, founders or CEOs of one of the big payment companies. I've got a feeling it's PayPal, but it could be one of the other ones. And he was kind of being really transparent that he had no passion for processing payments. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like it's not a topic you can really kind of get too excited about, is it? 
but the way he got fulfillment was just real building like just a really really good company Do you know what I mean? just that was the fulfillment it's like how can we just build like a really really awesome company and that was the way that it wasn't just you know like about just getting money at the end of the day it was kind of like there's something else in it but it was just building a great company was enough for him to kind of feel really motivated yeah that's a special type of mentality that i've observed and would like to adopt and i see that in professional athletes as well who are capable of at some point you know everyone gets burned out on what they're doing and yeah, have to yeah. reinvent sort of why they're doing it their why and i've seen the people that i played soccer with who went on to be very successful found a way always to reinvent that why this is why i'm doing it because of xyz like and I think what that you know analogy is made the same. It's like he found a why within a like a service that he didn't really care about, you know. Yeah, no, so it's super powerful to have that that why. I mean, I think in the early days for me, like with the with the first business at least, my motivation was was definitely financial. Like it was definitely I wanted to build some level of wealth, but I don't think it was like extreme wealth you know it wasn't to have like um some people probably wouldn't even classify as a lot of money but i it wasn't even like to build like a million dollars or something like that it was just to have some level of kind of comfort or savings that if i couldn't work for like a year or a few months or something went wrong that i wouldn't kind of go under and i think that was pretty linked because there was sometimes kind of like in my 20s where I kind of was at that point, you know, I kind of literally like completely ran out of cash and kind of saw how stressful that is. And even growing up, like um, we weren't like crazy, crazy poor, but I grew up, it was like, um, I was raised by my mum. my parents kind of separated mm-hmm. and kind of grown up on one income, um, you know, till, till I don't know exactly, but till probably like 11 or 12, kind of in like government housing. Mm-hmm. So I think I always had this like kind of some kind of anxiety, I guess, about like running out of money or not having enough money. I think at the time I thought it was to have like a lot of money, but it wasn't. It was like once I got like a bit and probably not even that much by some people's standards, that kind of felt satisfied. And then it's like I didn't have that why again. Do you know what I mean? It was like suddenly went from like getting out of bed in the morning, kind of like kind of getting a coffee and just jumping on the computer and starting work to kind of like the alarm going off and pressing snooze like 20 times, you know what I mean? Kind of like, then I decide I suddenly really like cleaning, you know what I mean? So I can start cleaning before like I start work. And it's just a really big switch. Like really did just lose that, um, that like, why am I, you know, it's just, it's just, it probably was not even conscious. Like now I'm saying it when you've got hindsight, I think things are way, way clearer and you can kind of identify these things. But at the time, I don't think I got it. I was just kind of like, I don't like work anymore. You know what I mean? That was kind of like the way I saw it. Like I'm bored of work. But I think really it was just because that why it just kind of disappeared. What is your threshold financially? What What do you want to have in your bank account at all times to feel financially secure? I'm not sure. I don't know. I don't know. Um, I don't know if I know like what exact figure that would be. I think something that I need to kind of get better at is kind of what you described when you were talking about how you want to help maybe like your father, whoever he got sick and kind of pay for that care. Mm-hmm. I think it's super, super important to link the monetary amount back 
to what's important to you, you know, and kind of like work backwards, you know, to kind of think like this is the stuff that I want to be able to achieve and then work out the cost. And then it kind of, I think it kind of means more. Do you know what I mean? Cause that, it's not just like a number. It's like, it's, it's a list of things that you can do with that, with that money. That's what you are really building towards. For me, um, I probably don't quite have that number like down right now in terms of, um, bigger picture goal in terms of you know lifestyle wise and stuff like that like what what really is the figure that you need to kind of kind of design you know have that design lifestyle down Mm -hmm. i was um for myself what i was trying to get at was uh when you talked about you know getting losing that fear of not having enough because you had enough cash flow and waking up after hitting the snooze button like eight times like i have a similar thing where it's like I, if I have three thousand dollars in my bank account, like uh, I'm financially secure, <laughs> because the uh, way okay. I designed my life for so many years was that I that's all I really needed. Like if I ever came into like two two to three grand, I'd be like, "Fuck, I'm gonna retire for the next year," because like in the places I live, like that's so much money, and I can do that with what I like out of life. Like I don't need anything. Like that's just how I've designed my life. So that's for me always been, I think, a bit of a downfall because I get so f- comfortable with that amount <laughs> that once I get, I don't, I stop working. I'm just like, sweet. Um, <laughs> and, and that's what I'm trying to overcome now is trying to find the, the drive to keep grinding in something that even though maybe it's turned into work, I can, there's a finish line where I'm just like, okay, this is going to at least give me that financial buffer for me and my dad to move to Thailand and have it live at home nurse or something like that you know or in america i can you know bring my dad into a a rented apartment and bring you know it's just like and i I hate to think like that because i don't want to be morbid but it's like i need to start shifting to a number that's more going to take me to that goal of being able to take care of him you know yeah i think um there's i haven't actually read the book for like years but it's just in my mind because it kind of came from our conversation a few minutes ago but in the four hour work week there's actually an exercise in there, which even if you don't read the book would probably actually help you with this exact thing. And it's called dreamlining. I don't know if you've heard of the concept. I have. Yes. So you kind of, you kind of literally get a pen and paper and God, you're going back years. So I may not explain this like as well as I should do, but pretty much you write down, I think it's like in the next, you do in different, I think in the next six months and in the next year you write down, basically what what you want and it can be like material things like things you want to own mm-hmm. um but it can also be experiences and i think generally if you actually weight it more towards experiences and things you want to own that's that's kind of like it actually brings the cost down and actually in some ways you know would maybe actually deliver you know what i mean i don't know i, I say it's, it's up to everyone but you know what i mean maybe maybe having some of those crazy experiences could be more life-changing than than you know owning like a super like pimp car um there's more categories than that but he's kind of broken down to categories and you literally just write down like what would make an awesome like next six months and then you literally just work out how much that costs and that's quite cool because it's not too long term you know it's like it's pretty quick and you just think this is what i need and then you work back and you think how can i make that money and i think that can be be quite powerful in terms of just taking those arbitrary dollar amounts and making it feel more meaningful yeah no. Yeah, I think I've played around with a different sort of dreamline sequence that I've learned from other people and yeah, it's it's 
it is powerful and very clear. I just I continually get stuck on like what's going to keep my focus and drive long enough to actually acquire that amount of wealth, even even if it's like only thirty k or whatever it may be. It's like again, like I hit that three thousand dollar threshold. I'm like sweet, <laughs> like I'm going to go back I to living on the beach. Yeah, I mean, I used to see that a lot. I used to when I was in corporate, I used to work in in sales. And that was so common. Like somebody would, even me, like we'd, we'd have a good month and we get paid a big bonus. And then literally the next month, like we just could not be bothered. Like, cause we'd, we, you know what I mean? Like we were fed and watered kind of yeah, thing. Like yeah. it's, it's kind of like a super common thing. I mean, another way around it, and again, it's something I've struggled with, like just as much as you. I think one thing I've kind of started focusing on like way more recently is actually trying to enjoy the process you know as well as the outcome so it's cool to have this goal that is going to be super awesome when you get there but rather than i guess it's kind of links the whole lifestyle design thing like not deferring happiness so don't it's not just about not deferring happiness to retirement but don't defer it until you've met that goal even if the goal is only like six months time or like a year's time but try and like just make the actual process enjoyable so it's like how can you map your day out so that um, even if you didn't hit that goal, and obviously you want to hit the goal, but even if you didn't hit the goal, it would still be like a super cool six months to spend time doing that. Yeah, I like that perspective shift. I think that's valuable. Um, I've had those moments where I have set a big goal, I have achieved it, and getting across the finish line was the biggest disappointment because yeah, hundred percent. Looking back, I was like, it, the this you know each step along the way was the richest experience I've ever had. You know, the ups, the downs, the all arounds, the heartbreaks, like that's life, right? That's living in the moment. And like, that's where it's all at. Yeah. I remember hundred percent resonate with that. I'm sure loads of people listening to the show do as well that, yeah, you get to that moment and it's like, you fulfilled something you've been working so hard towards and you're expecting this kind of like elation of like, Oh my God, this feels so good. And it's just like such an anti-climax. It's like almost the minute you've done it, you've forgotten about it. Um, it's super weird. It's super weird. And you almost feel worse. Weirdly, you almost feel worse because you don't have the goal anymore. Yeah, you're lost. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you almost feel worse after you've achieved this incredible goal than you did when you didn't have it. It's kind of so crazy. I remember like exactly the same thing with my first, the first business, the finance business that I started. I had this big goal. The clients basically for that business, they pay uh, like a recurring fee and they're really really in that industry they're super super sticky so you don't really get churn as such like clients tend to be with you like for 10 years something like that so once you sign a client up um it's not like saying b2b services where maybe they could churn after a month or after three months it's kind of like it's pretty sticky so i had this goal kind of based on that that i wanted to get 33 customers for the business that was like the goal and right in front of my desk on the wall, I had like a big piece of paper and I put lines on it and made it into like 33 boxes and wrote the numbers like one, two, three, like, an, like kind of like an advent calendar. You know what I mean? Like that kind of thing. And literally every time I got a client, I do a tick. And I remember like thinking like when I get to 33, this is just going to be, you know what I mean? Like the best feeling ever It's going to just make all this hard work worthwhile. I remember just like ticking it off and just sitting back in my chair and just thinking like this feels shit like it's, it's like what do I do now like what's like what's the, what's the purpose of my day from now on it's just it really didn't get that buzz that I thought I was gonna get 
Yeah. Yeah. It's, I'd still, what's the, what do you actually provide these people in the finance business that you have? It's, yeah, it's wealth management advice. So it's, it's super niche. It's wealth management advice for British retirees who live in Spain. That is awesome. Okay. <laughs> yeah. For our, I mean, for our work week, it was, you know, it's like choose a niche and just write to that niche. And yeah, I figured out like if I had 33 clients, that that would basically kind of take into account cost of the business and all the stuff that would kind of hit my figure, you know, for kind of what I could live a decent life on. And it's hard work onboarding the clients because I was doing a lot of online marketing, like a lot of sales consultations and just the actual process because you're providing financial advice is, is like really like paperwork intensive. And it's, it's basically to, to get the clients is super hard work. Once you've got a client, the actual work each year, um, in terms of hours, like really isn't that bad. So I kind of knew with 33 clients for me personally, and that was like employing like one part-time staff member. But for me personally, it would be like maybe like 10, 10, 12 hours a week. Okay. Um, so that was a goal. It was like get to 33 clients, have the income that I'd kind of figured would be would be sufficient for me to live the life I wanted to live. And then, yeah, work work like 10, 12 hours a week. That was pretty much the the objectives with that. So you, you help retiree ex, expats who live in Spain like plan for their retirement in a in a way that they're not going to lose all their money. Yeah, they're they're already retired, so they kind of like from a U.S. perspective, it's kind of like a lot of uh, people from the U.S. I guess would maybe go to like say Costa Rica or Mexico for kind of like a, a cheaper, warm weather retirement. Super similar, like with the UK and Spain, so. Spain is kind of like two, two and a half hour flight from the UK, like super cheap flights. And cost of living in Spain is is generally like less than the UK. I mean, probably not in Barcelona or Spain, but sorry, Barcelona or Madrid, but they're not like the main like expat hotspots. Um, so in the kind of the coastal towns, lifestyle would generally be cheaper than the UK. Um, currency, at least historically, has kind of worked in their favor as well. And it would really be setting up uh, investments and kind of like doing some stuff with their pensions, which save kind of kind of I guess basically made it easy to manage as an as an expat, and also would would set st- we set stuff up for the clients, which basically reduces the tax burden. We set stuff up that's sort of compliant with the Spanish tax system because everything they would have initially would all be based around the UK tax system. And then when they move to Spain, um, they need to they basically need to pay the tax in Spain. So we, we set stuff up which is compliant with the Spanish tax system rather than the UK tax system. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you lived in Malta for a little bit. Is that a tax haven? I lived there like four or five years. Um, tax haven is probably too strong a word. It's low tax. Okay. So one of the biggest, I guess, tax breaks in Malta is that companies pay effectively pay five percent corporation tax so that's a big one another big one is um in the i-gaming industry so like on online um kind of kind of gambling firms they get a special rate of tax in malta i think maybe wrong but i think they pay one percent corporation tax um and some some of the staff they get international staff in they pay lower tax as well hmm. You mentioned like I was an expat in Malta. You're an expat though in Lisbon right now too, 
right? I mean, you consider yourself an expat? Yeah, yeah, 100%. So I lived in Malta for, for four or five years, went back to the UK for one year. That was mostly because I had a long-term, uh, it was a long-term relationship, five-year relationship. My girlfriend, she was actually Maltese, but she'd lived in the UK for a long time previously, and she was desperate to live in the UK. So she really kind of drove that. And yeah, I went back there and it was kind of weird. Like, I mean, you probably had exactly the same, I guess, because I know you've been like in Nicaragua so much, but kind of, kind of weird feeling. I haven't been away for like four or five years. You almost feel like a foreigner like in your own country when you get back. Do you, you, have you had that as well? Oh yeah. It comes up a lot on the podcast. It's, it, I mean, it's a term we use in America called repatriation and it's uh, yeah. generally thought of for like military coming back from abroad, you know, after being at war, but you know, I think it can be applied to expats coming back to their home country and just being like, oh, I don't fit in at all. I can't relate to anybody. You know, you know how it feels. Yeah, I mean, for me, it's, it's kind of like super, super shallow. But the weather, like UK in the summer, kind of April till September is kind of kind of like not too bad. But the winters, I mean, having lived in, Malta's got kind of like a Mediterranean climate, you know, where winter, God, you'd be in Fahrenheit, won't you? But in Celsius, probably like 17, 18 Celsius, which. It's like in the 70s, yeah. Probably, yeah, 70s. Mm-hmm. And sunny most days in the winter. So UK winter is kind of not like that. So kind of cold, wet, very little sunlight, um, you know, kind of gets dark, kind of like, you know, nine or after and kind of. And so it gets light nine or after, and then kind of goes dark again, like kind of three, half three in the middle of the winter. So I find that like super big impact on my lifestyle in terms of, um, you know, I like getting outside and and hiking and exercising and, and going to the beach and doing all that kind of stuff. And I found that's a huge change, like like kind of, kind of having much more of a kind of indoor lifestyle in the UK in the winter. What's it like in Lisbon? Though? I'm always on the impression that Scott not similar weather to the UK, but it is kind of rainy and, you know, like, I don't know why I thought that, but what is it like there in Lisbon? No, it's pretty, no, it's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty good. So I've been here since January. This is probably like, you know, the coldest, wettest time of year. It's most days it's pretty much blue skies. We, we maybe get one or two rainy days a week, but pretty much most days blue skies and similar temperature to Malta. So Fahrenheit probably like seventies. And then, I think anywhere from kind of like from now onwards is, is pretty good through to November. But yeah, the winter's not bad at all. Like, yeah, sunny and, and still pretty mild. Why did you choose Lisbon? Uh, good question. It was the stuff that I wanted was, I went about it in a kind of organized way, you know, literally just kind of wrote out like my ideal place. Like, what does it look like? And yeah, it's all down on paper. And the stuff I kind of noted was I wanted to live in a city, but I didn't want to live in like a kind of like super big, like crazy city, say like Bangkok or something like that, because um, I'm, I'm, I'm 34, almost 35. And five years ago, like I think I probably would have loved that, you know, that kind of hectic environment. I lived in London for a long time. But these days, um, you know, loads of pollution and traffic and cars and stuff. Like I, I don't mind doing that like, going to go somewhere for a few weeks but to be long term i find that kind of too much these days so i wanted like a small to medium-sized city uh, anything small than that i think i'd probably get too bored you know what i mean like living in like a small town when i've done that in the past super cool but then after three four months i kind of start feeling hang on a minute i've been to like 
you know, every place there is to go, kind of like at least three times. Um, and I start craving change. So to be somewhere longer, I kind of wanted it to be a, you know, a city with facilities, but not too big. I wanted to be on the coast. So, you know, I'm, I'm kind of like a beach guy. So I wanted to be, I think you are as well. So I kind of wanted to be, um, kind of on the coast. I wanted somewhere with a good climate and I wanted somewhere with good access to nature. So Lisbon is, is pretty, there's loads of countryside kind of like super close to the city and also somewhere with, um, a good, kind of like expat nomad kind of scene as well just socially to kind of, to kind of integrate with that and then the only other thing probably like tax as well like um lisbon uh, i don't know if it's relevant for any listeners but lisbon's got a really really attractive tax scheme for foreigners as well hmm. which is what for if, as an american citizen i'm not sure how this would work because you guys are kind of always kind of caught up with the the irs right so I'm not sure how this kind of plays out if you, for an American citizen, but for the rest of us, when we leave our home countries, we kind of shed our tax residence. So, for example, because I don't live in the UK, I'd have to pay UK tax. And we pay tax in whatever country we kind of live in. And Lisbon has a rule that for the first 10 years, you can receive overseas dividends from a company and not pay any additional tax so you you can basically pay tax within the company, wherever that is, and then the Portuguese authorities won't tax you anything else on that money. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, just getting plugged into the, this nomad scene, like you start learning about all these interesting ways people are structuring their businesses, like in Tbilisi, Georgia, and like how they're uh, yeah. you know, capable of you know not paying any tax on foreign income and their residencies in Tbilisi. It's like... I mean, that's my goal for sure. Like, I'm going to try to break free of this system as soon as I can. <laughs> I think it's kind of, it's kind of, I think one thing though is just try, like, I kind of, of course, like, as a business owner, you know, I don't want to pay like all my revenue away in tax, but I think equally, I've considered in the past setting up like some super, super complicated structures, you know, to achieve that. And I'm glad I didn't do it because. I just think the administration and the headache is everything that I don't want in my life. You know I mean, I hate paperwork. I hate legal stuff. I hate dealing with accountants. And some of these structures would have just, talking about lifestyle design, would have made like, you know, we have to spend a considerable amount of time like dealing with that stuff. Mm-hmm. So one cool thing about Portugal and probably some other countries as well is it's relatively straightforward. You know what I mean? Like it's not like you're having to set up like companies within companies and do all this kind of crazy stuff it's pretty like simple what you can set up and you know it's not like you're kind of exploiting like a loophole or do you know what i mean you're kind of pushing things too far it's like there's a legit kind of tax scheme set up that you fall into so yeah it's cool yeah dan andrews talked a little bit about that how he kind of went through one of those processes of setting up like a tax scheme and just in the end it's like so much time and then money too like trying to hire the right people and maintain it like you wind up spending a fortune just to like relieve yourself of some of your tax responsibility. <laughs> yeah. And it's just, I think like a lot of us, it's just literally my idea of like a bad day at work would be like a day dealing with that stuff. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I would actually probably rather pay a little bit more tax and not have days like that because that's, that's not why I'm doing all this. Do you know what I mean? Like it's not the lifestyle that I want to be spending like, you know, considerable amount of time, like messing around with legal and tax stuff. Totally. Well, you mentioned earlier um, you were 
taking to take some of this uh, time in the next few months to really develop some hobbies not related to work and money making what kind of hobbies are you into yeah it was, it was kind of different because this was pre you know pre-corona so my plans for the year i wanted to uh, move to portugal so i wanted to learn portuguese that was 100 percent on the list i wanted to 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 go on a sailing course um and what else did I want to do? God, I had a big list of all this stuff, but most of it involved involved travel and doing stuff in person. Okay. Are Even you, go are on, you a sailor? Are you a sailor? Have you had any? No, no, it's, it's a new hobby. I've done, I've been on a boat, like sailing boat, maybe three, four times in my life. But it was just one of those things that I've had on my list for years. Like I should do this, and then you know, just kind of not done it. And they thought, this year I'm maybe going to take a step back a little bit from, this is what I was thinking, take a step back a little bit. Because as soon as I created the first lifestyle business, which is kind of like a big flaw. So the first business I say, I got to those 33 clients. It's like hit the income goal. It was like, I only had to work like 10, 12 hours a week. I literally only lived that lifestyle for about, I don't know, three, four months before I started a second business. Okay. I didn't know how to live that life at the time. Hmm. Like I hadn't really thought about the after, you know, I thought so much about the goal. I didn't think in practical terms, like hang on a minute, I'm going to have like 30, 40 extra hours every week. What am I actually going to do with that time? And I was just super bored. Like uh, I think it kind of pretty depend like where you are in the world and what freedom you've got. I was in a long-term relationship at the time she had a traditional job, so she kind of like couldn't, you know, like go traveling. And that point, you know, we'd, we'd gone back, we were living in the UK, so the kind of the weather and stuff like that wasn't that, wasn't that great either in terms of doing outdoor stuff. And literally, I kind of got the business at that point. I was doing like a few hours work every day, usually in the morning. So I'd kind of work something like maybe like nine till 12 every day, then kind of clock off, have some lunch. And I was just lost, like lost in the afternoons. Like I really did not know what to do with my time. And that was what led me to basically starting the, like the second business almost without realizing it. Like that was kind of the, that was kind of the path to me thinking I want to try something else out business wise. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. A lot of people, I think later in life after they retire, kind of find themselves in that same situation lost. Like, what do I do with my time? I've never had that problem. I kind of know exactly what I'm going to do with my time every day. <laughs> what would you do? What would you, I mean, if you had, do you know? Like, if you I, mean, had, I, I, I did it for so many years in Nicaragua. Like, So I wake up. If the waves are pumping, I walk down the beach. It takes me about an hour, maybe 45 <laughs> minutes to walk to the wave that I want to surf. I surf you know, between two and three hours. If it's a good, I'll surf longer. The whole round trip back to the house, like always five hours. That's how long it takes me. So I, then I get back, have lunch. Um if I'm really ambitious, I'll go back for a second session, come back. The evenings are filled with social time, drinks, you know, dinner with friends. If the waves aren't good in the morning, I wake up, run and stretch on the beach, you know, a nice little breakfast for myself, um, and then kind of kick about doing different hobby kind of stuff. Like, I mean, yeah, it's something. That well, yeah. Ahead. Is that, would that be like your, if you were designing like lifestyle design? Yeah. Is that pretty much it though? So if you had like, you had $10 million in the bank. Mm -hmm. Is that what you would do like, every day? I think a portion of the year. Like it, it's uh -huh. not like a 365 day a year kind of thing. Cause the waves are seasonal around the world. So you always are trying to hit the spot 
the right season for the best waves. So Nicaragua's waves are from the best waves are from April through August, September ish. Then the weather changes and the water gets a little cold and like then I would probably move on. And I love nomading. And for me, nomading isn't going from a new place to a new place every you know week or two weeks. Like I like finding a place, absorbing it for like three months or however long my visa lasts for that country, and then either renewing it or moving on. So I like I hunker down in a place I like for periods of time. So I could see myself doing that for many years until I've seen everything I want to see, and then I'd probably go back to the places and hunker down and play. Kind of like you finding that one city that you like. Lisbon seems to be a good fit for you. Like I'd probably do that. Like you know, surfing is always going to be a part of my life. So I'll be hitting Indonesia. Portugal's got great waves. I've never been there. Definitely spend a lot of time there. Languages. I see myself diving into languages, even though I'm terrible at it. I mean, ten years in Nicaragua, my Spanish is atrocious. <laughs> and uh, I'm not a natural. I'm not a natural language either. No. Yeah, and just time spent. You got to do it. Put yourself out there, and um, yeah. So for me, like, Wait. we'll see what happens, you know. But that's my goal. That's what I want. Yeah, it's kind of um, you've got you've got to try it, I guess, haven't you? You've got to live that life and kind of see how it feels. Mm-hmm. And I think. Yeah, I guess in it. I think it would just be cool. I think with goals, it's kind of can feel overwhelming, like planning like 10, 20 years of your life. But at least if you know what you want to try, and then I guess you can kind of like, it's like, is there anything you kind of, you test it, see how it goes. And then you kind of just make some adjustments until you, you get the, the kind of the perfect balance down. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. But, I mean, I found when I was nomading last year and it wasn't, necessarily that like i plan to be a long-term nomad i kind of did have my mind about a year of doing that but i definitely found after a year that i needed more consistency okay like from and i think everyone's different i think everyone has that kind of a just a different kind of internal level as to what the balance of change and consistency is that they need Mm -hmm. to feel productive and to feel happy and to feel you know feel fulfilled for me like moving like every three four months I was kind of moving, I did periods of the year like that last year, three, four months, I did periods when I was moving kind of quicker than that. But regardless, that for me is, I think to to do that long term is too much transition Okay. for me personally, but I think everyone's got a different switch. And I think for me, the, the right balance, or I feel like the balance I at least want to test is probably doing more like, I'll probably be in Lisbon like eight months a year when the weather's better, I guess. And then three, four months in the winter, I kind of go off and have some adventures. And I guess I don't know yet because I'm not tested, but I feel for me personally, that would kind of give me that, that balance between, you know, exploring stuff, trying different stuff, um, feeling that I'm free, but still giving me like a home and a base and a network and some consistency um, as well. Mm-hmm. But I think a lot of people flip between the two extremes. Like they'll be like, I kind of did this, you know, you'd be super stable for years and then you're thinking, God, like nothing about my life ever changes. This is always the same. This is meaningless. You know what I mean? Like I'm not really living. I'm just kind of like a hamster in a wheel. And then you do a period where you just have massive change. You go to the opposite extreme and you change stuff up like every single month and you're having a crazy adventure. But by the end of it, you kind of feel like I just really want some consistency again. <laughs> like I want that back. Um, and I think everyone has a different, you know what I mean? Like a different tolerance. I agree. And I think, you know, with age, things do change always and it's hard to project how I'm going to feel about nomading at 60, you know? Yeah. yeah, I asked, uh, do you know Henry Doss? 
I do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I had a session with him the other day and describe he was like, "Describe your perfect lifestyle." And I kind of just described to him what I described to you. He's like, "Now, do you see yourself doing that at 50?" And I was like, "Yes, absolutely." He's like, "Okay." And like the reality of that, I don't know. I mean, 10 years from now, like who knows? Right now, I'm 100% confident that I'll probably live similarly, but things change, dude. <laughs> I mean, that's just a fact. Yeah, there's so many uncontrollables as well. You know what I mean? There's so many things that, as we've learned, I guess, like with with what's happening in the world, like literally right now, like we none of us have control over this. We're just having to like play the cards that we dealt right now. Totally. Um, man, we're taking up a lot of your time, but before we go, I'd like to touch upon your podcast because I know you have a podcast as well. Oh, awesome! Yeah, thank you for mentioning that. Yeah, I'm recording a podcast right now. We're going to record kind of between I think six and eight episodes with um, I'm filming it I'm recording it with um, Amar Ghosh who's the founder of Zenmade and I forgot then founder of Zenmade and it's all about um, building remote teams and remote work so this is something which I think is really topical right now because a lot of businesses who maybe didn't even intend to be remote are having to to figure out how to be a remote business right now. And it's also something I think that a lot of entrepreneurs, and I think I'm definitely in this boat where we've kind of got into this where we want to build a business, but we've maybe not been taught like how to be a good manager or how to build like a company culture and stuff like this and it's maybe not even something that i used to think about you know what i mean i used to just think i would get these freelancers i'll give them some um you know process to follow and that's going to be that and the more down this path i kind of go i kind of realize that actually you need to build like a proper business where you've actually got a team and people are kind of invested in in what you're doing and right now you know there's definitely some parts of my own skill set which are way short with that and I do think in general, not many people are actually taught to do that. Um, it's often like in the corporate world, you know, often it's just like the person who's kind of good at doing their job suddenly manages that team. And the skill to manage a team is often like completely different to the skill of being good at the job itself. So the podcast is all about that. We're going to interview like six to eight people who've got really good insights, opinions and, and expertise to share. On that, we've interviewed so far, I think, three or four episodes. So we're going to we're gonna get the other three or four done and then hopefully get that published before the end of April. Cool. Yeah, it'll be cool. I hear that coming up a lot. And it's it's an interesting topic because with everyone being remote, yeah, you can kind of see yourself giving you know uh, your, one of your Filipino VAs some work and then they're going to go about their day. But you're right. Developing a company culture, making them feel like they're a part of something special is super important that a lot of people probably don't think about. Yeah, one of the big mistakes I made with Result Story is designed to be a productized service business. So, you know, the idea is that pretty much the idea that's taught um, about productized services is generally that, you know, you kind of learn how to do a process yourself. You write that process down. So you put it in a Google Doc or you make like a screencast video where you explain it. And then you pass it on to, you know, to a VA. And they, they kind of, from then onwards, they're going to complete that work. And that was what I thought that business model kind of was in terms of fulfilling the work and had this horrible realization that that really doesn't work because in that scenario, every time something goes wrong or doesn't exactly match like the process that you've outlined, 
the the person that you've delegated it to is going to come back to you as the expert and as you kind of get busier and you have more people doing the work for you it becomes exhausting because suddenly you've got like seven or eight people constantly asking you to solve problems all day and it's like you can't even get your own work done because you're just fixing the problems for like everyone else and um that's like a huge problem that i kind of face something that i didn't expect and i mean there are some solutions i think to how you can definitely approach things in a different way and that's like kind of like one of the topics that we definitely kind of go in deep on in the in the podcast nice dude well yeah i wish you all well with that and especially i keep uh what's what do you think's gonna happen with resultstory.com resultstory is going really well since we're a subscription model um the business is going really really well um we are kind of really good with service businesses and also with people in the info product space right now one of the things that actually came out corona is it just kind of really helped me focus and double down on that business and really start looking at the business almost like from from scratch you know i mean also having like a fresh view in the business just looking at head to toe and just thinking what's working what's not and yeah the last the last month or so like things have been going really really well so it's cool actually because um i've kind of actually got really really excited about that business again and um kind of what we touched on before i think one thing that is kind of motivating me is actually to kind of like build out you know, like a really cool team and just make like a really cool place to work and that's something that is kind of getting me excited now you know rather than just like the money it's like hey can i create a really cool business where people really, really want to work for that business and um yeah, that's something that is is kind of really giving me a lot of motivation back for that business and is making me feel kind of really positive about the future, actually. Nice, dude. Nice. You know, before we sign off, you could speak to one listener out there who's interested in starting their first online business. What bit of advice or vis- wisdom could you impart on them before you go? Okay, super question. The key thing, I think, is to always get the first customer or customers so don't spend a load of time trying to build out a website or trying to figure out every part of your product or solution or sales funnel reach out to people directly onboard at least one paying customer even if you're doing it cheap it can't be free it has to be a real customer so you've got to you've got to get some money doesn't have to be what you're going to sell the thing for in the end though get a customer on board once you've got a paying customer that translates from just being an idea to actually being a business and it gives you the motivation then and the reason to actually start figuring the stuff out and making the service work so yeah in the past i spent loads of time just in my own mind you know coming up with ideas going through all these thought processes trying to get everything all perfect before i actually launch and if i could rewind and maybe someone else in that position right now it's just literally just get a customer i love it mike thank you so much for your time it's been such a pleasure chatting with you no, I've really enjoyed being on the show. Thank you so much for having me on, Chapin. Awesome, Mike. Thank you so much for joining me. Such a pleasure. Really inspirational. Again, just every episode, there's just a jewel of motivation, of inspiration for me personally. So thank you so much for joining me, helping me refocus, remotivate, inspire me. I do appreciate you and your time. Folks listening out there, please check them out at resultstory.com. 
And if you want to support Misfits and Rejects, you can do that two ways. You can head over to patreon.com backslash Misfits and Rejects. You can give Misfits and Rejects a monthly donation. Any amount you want, it's all appreciated. Nothing is expected. Or you can head over to misfitsandrejects.com backslash shop and pick up a Misfits and Rejects t-shirt. Again, all are appreciated. Nothing is expected. This story and all these stories and all these beautiful people I get to interview inspire me to keep focused, keep moving forward, keep trying new things. And I hope they are doing the same for you. Please remember, I think you all are so very beautiful. I look forward to seeing you in next week's episode. Take care. I hope you're well. Ciao. Thank you for listening to Misfits and Rejects. I hope this inspires you to think about your life situation, where you're at, and possibly make a big decision to choose something different for yourself if you're unhappy with where you're at in life. I hope these people that I interview inspire you to go out, spread your wings, and try something new, to live a different lifestyle that maybe your whole life people were telling you was the wrong one, but when in fact it's the perfect one for you. And I'll see you next time.